You're listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast, where we speak with founders, CEOs, investors, advisors, experts, and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines. Brought to you by Psychedelic Invest, bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. We have two guests today, Gregory Rufa and David Glowacki, and they are co-founders at Anuma. We're going to talk to them about what they're doing in this space. I mean, it's a little interesting, a kind of a different take or a different kind of angle in the world of that we're looking at in terms of psychedelics, in terms of how we're helping people with a whole host of kind of conditions and situations, but really looking at how, how the whole kind of mental health world sort of process works and how people deal with these kind of experiences and what psychedelics from kind of a compound drug point of view can do, but other ways we can really bring these kind of experiences and kind of therapeutic processes to folks uh, that have various needs. And like I said, it's an interesting angle and we're going to talk about why they've chosen kind of this approach, kind of the background and what they hope to achieve and, and how they're hoping to really help a lot of folks who need help, who don't have a whole lot of options and some of the interesting kind of outcomes that we're seeing and kind of approaches. So with all that, Gregory, David, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce. Thanks. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Gregory, why don't we start with you? Why don't you just give us a little bit of a background on the company and, you know, for you personally, like what was the story that led to this? Because you are, you're taking a very kind of interesting, different approach to the whole world of, you know, this kind of therapy. Give us a background, give us a story, and then we can kind of get into some of the details. Sure. So Enuma creates digital therapeutics at the intersection of psychedelics and immersive technology built on a understanding, foundational understanding that it's connection, connection to ourselves to others and to the natural world that that is foundational to our mental health and well-being. Yeah. And so we're creating these experiences for people that are transformative experiences. And we're doing that in a group-based way. Yeah. Yeah. And what give us a little of your background and why why this became important to you. So way back in college, an undergraduate, I was introduced to psychedelics and saw them as an important tool. I mean, they were used for partying, but mm -hmm. uh, I saw that they were something more than that. And so I started sitting with people. I didn't know that's what it was called back then. Uh -huh. There wasn't the, uh, all this information that was available. <laughs> the vernacular, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, just trying to make sure people had the best experience possible. And on one of those experiences, I was on LSD. I was actually at a event and I saw everything dissolved. And I saw all the people at the event just as beings of light, light beings. And everybody was connected with everybody else through these filaments. And it just was this very visceral experience, quite formative to my life, of what would it be like if we didn't have all this identity structure that kind of gets in the way of our real communication of our essence. And so that actually drove me to virtual reality and drove me to start my first VR company, which is back in 1995, way too early VR was going through one of its hype cycles back then, learned a lot in the process, moved on, co-founded uh, Corrigo, a software, enterprise software as service facility management company, and ran that for 
several years, we sold that company to Jones Lang LaSalle, large real estate firm. And then about three years ago, when my time there was up, I wanted to return to my passion, which was this intersection of psychedelics, VR, mental health and well-being. And that led to a lot of research on my part, a lot of reading that led me to our third co-founder, Dr. Joe Hardy. Um, who's not with us on this call today, but Joe is a cognitive psychologist with a deep background in digital therapeutics. And Joe and I started doing some work together and that led us to David. So I'll let David tell his part of the story. Yeah, yeah. tell us your background and, and why this is important to you, you know, from a, uh, your personal history point of view. Sure. So yeah, my, I guess by, a little bit by way of background, I, my undergraduate degrees, I studied a whole range of subjects from chemistry, mathematics, philosophy. So touching on arts and humanities subjects, philosophy, um, but also mathematics and computation. And then I went on to do my, my master's actually in cultural theory in the UK, and then did my PhD in computational um, and experimental molecular physics. And so have a, have a background in, you know, how to in computation and how to make computers do interesting things. And I guess a lot of my work was quite, if you like, sort of conventional physics computing. So how to make really big programs that run fast on really big computers to solve hard problems in molecular quantum physics. In 2006, I had an accident, quite a severe hiking accident, where I, I fell almost 30 meters. And I had a pretty transformative near-death experience. And and interestingly, had an experience very similar to Greg's experience, where as my sort of life force was weakening, I dissociated from my body and I perceived I perceived my field of awareness as much larger than my body. And I, mm-hmm. I saw my body as an aspect of my sort of awareness, but I understood that my awareness and my field of being was much larger than just my body. And yeah. as I perceived my body from a distance, I saw myself as a sort of luminous light being, very similar to what Greg experienced. And yeah. that was really transformative for me. And a lot of my work since then has been aimed at trying to capture the transcendent sense of sort of peace and tranquility that accompanied my perception of myself, not as a human physical body, but as a luminous light body. Yeah. And so, you know, interestingly, have virtual realities come along and have taken a lot of our computational physics algorithms and transformed them into virtual reality to construct an environment where you're able to perceive the luminosity of others. And that for me, I guess, was the sort of transformational experience that sort of guides a lot of what Anuma is trying to accomplish in a, in a group context. Yeah. So I'm curious, and and I'll let either one of you kind of take this, you know, the, the sort of beyond the kind of the phenomenal experience of of these events, how do you tie it to kind of a therapeutic process or, or where where is the application in helping people with mental health? And where do you see kind of the applications now in the future? Just give me a little bit of tie into the what you're trying to do from a business point of view. So from a theory of change perspective, you know, we're looking at the science of psychedelics and what psychedelics enable in terms of experiences in reducing the priors, reducing the the old patterns of thought and enabling new new patterns of thought and behavior to evolve. 
And we're using technology to try to create similar therapeutic openings that then allow professionals, therapists to come in and work with patients to help them repattern. And so we're looking at how, how far can we take that? How can we use movement and, and visual stimulus and music and sound stimulus and haptics to, to create an environment that creates those therapeutic openings? The, the proof of concept that we're working from came out of David's lab. And I guess I can give David some time to talk about that. But what we're doing is we're building on that proof of concept to build a platform and then working with partners to take that into specific use cases to really stretch the platform and figure out what can be most effective in what scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. David, tell us about the, about the, sort of the technology, what, what the proof of concept was focused on and what, what did it show you? Sure. So, I mean, effectively, the experience that we constructed was a sort of virtual reality journey called Isness. And at its heart, it was about, you know, enabling groups of people to sort of perceive one another as luminous beings. And it was a sort of narrated journey. And we started developing this uh, several years ago. And as we started, you know, investigating the impact, the phenomenological impact that it had on participants, we started doing analysis of what people were saying. And I, I started sharing some of those results with my colleagues who were working in psychedelic science. And, you know, they said, you know, some of what's coming out of this looks very similar to some of the reports and results that we get when we give patients psychedelics in some of our studies. And so I guess that sort of catalyzed my interest in looking at the psychedelic research literature. And what you find in the psychedelic research literature is that a lot of the psychedelic experience is, is characterized by sort of transcendent feelings of unity, right? At the moment in the world, there's a lot of separation. Um, yeah. There's a lot of difference. And, you know, social media, for example, is very good at emphasizing our differences. Yep. And the sort of unitive, transcendent sense of unity that was emerging from the participant responses that we observed was very similar to psychedelics. So have since then started teaming up with researchers in the psychedelic area to look at how can we extend the sort of perceptual experience of these immersive, that these immersive technologies offer in order to map it and anchor it more firmly in a scientific basis akin to the sort of research that's going on in the psychedelics area right now. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious, is this, I guess, is your, what you're finding or, or is your thesis or your understanding that, that you are activating kind of the same underlying kind of phenomena that people have with psychedelics using technology, or are they just similar? Like I'm trying to figure out how much of these are just, they happen to be kind of very similar. And so they have the similar effect on, on folks, or it's literally activating the same kind of underlying kind of neurochemical psychological kind of experience that people are having. So I think that's a great question, Bruce. And that's actually the question that everybody is asking. And it's an open research question. Yeah. So what we've done so far is we've shown that the, okay, okay. So there's a few ways that psychedelic science obtains its results. Well, uh -huh. It kind of can split into two categories, right? So the first category is, you know, measurements on your physiology. So maybe I give you psychedelics and I do a brain scan on you using an fMRI scanner, or I do some EEG analysis on you, or I look at your heart rate or something like this. 
So the sort of biometrics, the other way that's crucial for measuring psychedelics is, you, you know, you give people psychometric questionnaires after the fact. And mm -hmm. I would say at the moment, the predominant way of doing the science has relied on the psychometrics. And what we've done so far is we've shown that we get results that are comparable to moderate doses of psychedelics in the psychometrics. Okay. One of the open questions that we would like to investigate moving forward, and which is really kind of a new frontier for science, is, you know, are the physiological mechanisms similar here? And that is something that we are actively starting to think about investigating, for example, with some of our, our some of my colleagues in the psychedelic area. So Robin Carhart-Harris, for example, is a, is a friend of mine that I discuss mm -hmm. a lot of these things with. And we're just now starting to think about how do we formulate some of these questions to explore exactly the question that you just posed. At the moment, it's an open question. Why do we yeah. get similar psychometric results? It's not entirely clear. So then follow a question to that is, does it matter? <laughs> like like if, you're, if you're getting if you're getting the same kind of a therapeutic outcome, like why does it matter to you or what's the interest there? Is it, is it a control issue? Is it being able to then figure out what you can do with it? But if it's getting the same, you know, psychometric results from folks, like where's the, where's the learning or what's, what do you still need to learn? Well, I, I think it's important to say that, you know, we're not trying to replace psychedelics. We were okay. strong believers in psychedelics and they create these experiences far more reliably, these unitive type experiences that they've talked about far more reliably than anything else. But as we know that psychedelics are contraindicated in a number of cases, yeah. they're illegal in most jurisdictions, yep. and even in a best case medicalization scenario, they're not going to be accessible to the majority of the world's population. Yeah. And so we're asking the question, how far can we go using just software, just technology to create similar types of therapeutic openings that can give these types of experiences? Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of folks are working on, you know, on, on the kind of the drug route or the compound route, you know, to try to find, you know, deal with some of these counterindicative ones or, um, you know, sort of not so nice aspects of it. You know, it takes six hours. It's, you know, you have to be in a certain therapeutic environment, right? Like it can be complicated, especially when you start thinking about trying to scale these, these um, therapies up. So if you're not trying to replace psychedelics, like how do you see this playing out? Is this developing tools that can be added or used as alternatives in situations where you can't do psychedelics? I mean, how, how do you envision your technology and the work that you're doing kind of being used in the future? Both of those, actually. I mean, we're looking with Robin uh, and his lab at uh, his old lab mates and scientists at ICL, as well as UCSF. We're looking at you know, how this can be additive, how, what are the synergistic effects and how can we use this technology to make uh, the experiences more accessible, safer, more liable. Beyond that, as we're learning these things, we're learning, okay, what is effective and how can we make them more effective in terms of creating the types of experiences for people and the types of, of opening that, uh, that are, you know, confer psychological benefit. And so we do see the opportunities when they're contraindicated and when they're not accessible to provide just technology solutions. But we're, we're continuing to be involved with the psychedelic research. And in one, so the way that we're, I guess, from a business perspective, I can give you a bit about the strategy here. We've taken this proof of concept from David's lab mm -hmm. 
We built a platform around it, a platform that allows us to use live facilitators and provide more control for the facilitators to take the group through the experience. And so the facilitator has control to upregulate the group, downregulate the group, modify the experience on the fly as it, you know, aiming for best outcomes for the group. We've also built creator tools around that so that we can take modalities from the real world into the extended reality world and very quickly come up with new experiences that leverage tried and true methods. So now that we have this platform where we can do this, we're working with partners to, as I mentioned, to take us into specific use cases. And so in one of those cases, we're working with a partner to build a set of sessions for preparation and integration around a remote site group psychedelic retreat. And so what happened here is a couple of weeks before you're going on the retreat, you would receive a headset. Uh, you would meet with the cohort that's going to be on the retreat in a couple of weeks. But in VR, you would meet with them. You would do some group work with them on a couple of instances before you go to the retreat. You then go down the retreat. Retreat is a, I guess, what you would call standard psychedelic retreat. No VR technology involved at all. But then after you leave, you've lost that group feel. We can bring you back into a space that allows you to come together in a very intimate way with those same, with that same cohort and work on the integration, which we've seen is very effective when done in group because of what the, the group can add to the experience of somebody's integration of an experience like this. And I, th I think we have to kind of get into exactly what the technology is and what the experience is. We've, we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but explain like what you've actually developed. If I was to participate in something like this, what would I experience? Sure. It's a one hour experience. The proof of concept that we're talking about is this one hour experience of moving meditation. It's, it's uses music. You're met beginning in a very sparse world where a live facilitator is assembling this group. And it could be a known set of group. It could be a set of the three or four other participants with you. Could be strangers. And we've seen it very effective in both cases where you know the people and where you are there with strangers. The life facilitator takes you through some exercises, gets you moving, gets you breathing, gets you working in synchronous ways with the other participants. Then a pre-record voiceover part takes over and takes you through these movement. You can think of it kind of like a dance, but uh, mm -hmm. where you're playing together in this virtual space. And then at the end of that, you're brought back together and there's sharing that goes on that's led by the live facilitator amongst the participants. And the whole thing takes about an hour. Got it. And, and how, how many of these have been running? Like, what's, give me a sense of what you've been doing with this. What have you been learning? What's been the evolutionary kind of process for you so far? Dave, do you want to take that? I mean, it, you're, it's your baby kind of at your lab. And so you can give the perspective, the longer term perspective on it. Yeah, I would say... So we, the original research study that we did involved about 64 people who were actually all together in the same space um, going through um, the experience. And then we, we followed that up a couple of years later with another study where we, we used a, a framework that enabled people, enabled people to be in different spaces distributed across the world, but join the same virtual space. And that, again, that study involved about maybe 150 people. And then since then, we've kind of reliably been developing 
new experiences and been trialing people through the previous experiences. And I would say to date, we probably put maybe, I don't know, thousand people through the experience. And so, yeah, at this point, I think we have a pretty good idea of what kind of responses arise from people, you know, how to tweak experiences in order to get different kinds of effects and the sorts of experiences that lead to this sense of connection, which we is part of our fundamental thesis of what is enabling this therapeutic opening to arise. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating because I think a lot of the challenges that I've seen with the, you know, sort of drug-based psychedelic therapy models, I mean, obviously the regulatory issues, the fact that it's illegal, you know, getting things, you know, through clinical trials, getting them approved, talking hundreds of millions of dollars to, to do a lot of those things. And then the logistics of actually having to manufacture these chemicals at scale and then the therapeutic processes and training therapies that I know, like there's just a whole series of challenges you can already see that face psychedelic therapies, psychedelic drug-based psychedelic therapies, you know, and really coming to market, which most of which you avoid, (laughs) you know, other than maybe some of, you know, training therapists, you know, but you're dealing, you don't have to deal with FDA approvals. You don't have to deal with manufacturing. I mean, you can just copy and paste code, right? Like it's a very scalable model. Like how, I guess, how do you see that playing out? Like, I guess, what role do you see you having in the industry and where are you really kind of pressing or how do you see your business kind of, yeah, I guess, how do you see the business playing out in terms of how it's going to play in the market? So our, where we see our opportunity is in a FDA cleared digital therapeutic. And so that's that's where we're aiming. We're aiming for a high bar that can be used with by professionals to treat their patients, to work with their patients, and to create another tool for them to use in in helping heal their patients fundamentally. And that's that's important for a couple of different reasons. From a from a purely business perspective, you know, we've seen technology have an adverse effect on mental health and well-being. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, it's just becoming quite clear how some of the mass mainstream technology can be used in ways that are counter to the individual user's best interest. And so how do we avoid that, right? Because these tools, this immersive technology is much, much more powerful than a mobile device in terms of directing somebody's attention or, or fooling what's going on in the brain. And so... Part of uh, the, the challenge there is how do you keep interests aligned? How do we ensure that the technology that we're building is technology that will that will serve the individual patient, individual user's best interests? And so one of the ways is by aligning the incentives around building a product that is, is designed for professional use and to aim for that FDA clearance bar so that it is something that uh, can be sold can be reimbursed through insurance and that the the revenue is coming from a very transparent fee-for-service transaction that doesn't involve third parties that are they're somehow extracting some sort of value from the transaction so that's that's one of um one of the important directions that we've thought from the beginning why we're going down this particular route how we get there is you know is a very good question and we are as i mentioned working with refer to them as strategic development clients, strategic development partners, where we're using their domain expertise and our technology platform to co-develop use-specific experiences that will, that are, this is pre-FDA clearance, but 
for use by professionals. And so I mentioned the one for prep and integration around retreats. Uh, we're doing another one for a multi-session, a multi-session program for people who are facing end-of-life distress and in a palliative care situation. And a third one where we've got a partner who is creating a multimodal mental wellness program, corporate mental wellness program, that they're introducing our technology as a VR component for their premium offering. And so working with these partners to help us build a more robust and flexible platform that on top of which gives us a data set that we can use to tune the digital therapeutic. Um, yeah, you can, you kind, kind of, of an, big picture. You kind of anticipated my next question, or, or and, and maybe we can just uh, I can clarify it a little bit, or we can I can follow up on it a little bit. You know, in terms of where you see kind of the therapeutic benefits. I mean, you mentioned a couple of these applications. Are, are these have you have you chosen these because of kind of path of least resistance right now, or where you see you can get you know you can you actually get it into kind of some a therapeutic situation and collect data, or do you feel like this is the best application of this technology? And if not, or I guess where else do you see this really applying in terms of kind of the challenges we're having as a culture as a society around mental health? Or where do you, where do you see this applying now, and then where do you see it applying in the future? Mm -hmm. So the future, our target right now, and what we're in conversations with um, National Institute of Mental Health around is a digital therapeutic for major depressive disorder. So that that's the medium to long-term target that we're shooting for. In order to get there, we need a big data set. We need to continue to evolve our understanding of how this is working. And so um, we, we're what we're looking for right now is collaborators who can help us figure that out. And we've, we've built a, an amazing team of, of collaborators around this uh, where we are figuring out what is good use of the technology, knowing what we have and, and what is close at hand in terms of where we believe it can be particularly effective and how the technology that we're using plays into that. And so in each of those cases that I talked about that we're working on, the technology is is particularly, um, what would you say, uh, lends itself well to the use case. And so um, in, the, in the situation where you have a bunch of strangers, 12 strangers coming together into a retreat center um, to do a, a journey for a very intense time period, um, being able to bring these people together in, in a form that gives them a good sense of what it's going to be like so that they can build that intimacy before arriving together on site and then gives them the ability to extend that that, that experience, that they, intense experience that they had together in the weeks that follow up can, can extend the value of that five or six day retreat session into, into the weeks and months. And so the, the ability of virtual reality to bring people together in an embodied way from wherever they are in the world really lends itself to that, that type of use. And so that, that's, that's one, you know, one of the areas where we see particular promise for blending the technology with, with the therapeutic modalities. Gregory, David, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about both of you, about NUMA, what's the best way to find that information? Uh, website? anuma.com, A-N-U-M-A.com. They can reach out to me, greg at anuma.com or david at dave at anuma.com. No, it's better to email greg 
<laughs> Definitely email Greg, not me. If you want to respond, if you want to respond. Email I mean, Greg. I'm interested, but I got enough emails. <laughs> I know how that goes, uh, gentlemen. This has been great. I'll make sure that the information is in the uh, show notes so people can get that. Highly encourage everyone to check it out. So I appreciate both of your time today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bruce. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Bruce. Great to chat. Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. podcast.